Welcome to another edition of the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle. And today, Major League Baseball, it's back. Spring training is here. The little kid inside all of us, apart from those who are still little kids. Excited, too, that baseball is back. All 30 teams competing for a championship. That's what we hear when the sun's out and the birds are tweeting. And then we get to about mid-April and we realise that maybe 10 teams have a chance of winning a championship. Today, to look ahead to the season, all the major storylines, Josh Chetwin, who you will remember from BBC on Channel 5 and BBC 5 Live Extra. He also represented Team GB. We are going to have Josh on to break everything down ahead of the 2017 MLB season. Just before we get to Josh, you can find the US Sports Podcast on iTunes. Please leave a review if you will be so kind. And you can also find us on Audio Boom at the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. So it's JC, it's baseball, ready to go. Josh Chetwin is on the line, uh, BBC Five Live, Channel Five, MLB, former Team GB baseball player, and now, if you're wondering, he's a he's a curling expert. Josh, hello, how are you? I'm doing well, Max. You don't want to talk about uh, various brooms and curling or anything, I presume. Brooms? Well, you play Quidditch as well? No, no, you use brooms and curling <laughs> in order to make the rock go further or stay straighter. Come on, man. You're, we, you're, you're an all-sport expert. I would expect you'd know that just as you know all sports, bocce ball and, you know, all the important <laughs> I stick away. I stick away from the ice. We don't have a lot of snow here, uh, if you've noticed. But, yeah, no, quickly on that, you've gone to curling. How's it going and why do you love it? Uh, I, well, I, I went to it because I was looking for a sort of a lifetime sport. You know, I've been pretty broken down in baseball. And last summer, I played with a, a British side, uh, the Southampton Mustangs. They qualified to play in Europe. Uh, we finished second uh, in the Federation Cup qualifier we played in, which was the best performance by a British team in a decade. And I ended up getting uh, hits in my last four at-bats. So I was like, okay, I can finally hang them up. And I wanted to figure out something else. So I, I opted for curling because they have a really nice uh, center here. I started a couple of years ago, but this was my first serious year and got very lucky that I ended up with three guys who were really good. And we uh, ended up playing on the World Curling Tour, made a little money, and then ended up uh, qualifying for the U.S. National Championships. And we uh, finished ninth in the U.S. So it's been great. It's been a really, really fun ride. That's awesome. Um now, I've started some work with MLB UK, and I know you're going to do some stuff, get involved, and, and you're big big reason why baseball is what it is here, and it's, it's something anyway. Um, a question for you is, what do you think baseball fans here are missing? What do they want, and, and what do they deserve? I mean, I think there are a lot of issues. I, I was very disappointed uh, to see that the World Baseball Classic was not being broadcast in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and it, and not only was it not broadcast, but it was blacked out on MLB.tv. And I think you need access, particularly to the international game, because there's something very empowering about watching the game on the international level. Uh, yeah, you don't have Great Britain. They lost in a qualifier, came within one game of actually making the main draw. But you have the Netherlands there. You have Italy. You have players who play in Europe competing at this high level and i think that that's certainly inspirational from that standpoint so you know i obviously i'm biased because i broadcast baseball on national tv on terrestrial television there for many years and i think that that did a great job of creating a, a real fan base that remains loyal to this day but it's hard to expand that fan base unless you're on sort of more general 
broadcasting media because sure people are going to go to mlb.tv if they love baseball already but you need to have it where someone's going to stumble across the sport so that's the issue is from the fans in terms of playing i think that there has been movements in the right direction in the uk farnham park they have actually a, a, a international grade field in great britain they added a second one to that location it's near slough and I think that those elements certainly give players the opportunity, you know, to, to paraphrase the great line from Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. It's actually, if you build it, he will come is the real line, but <laughs> they will come works for this purpose. Uh, and I do believe that if you have really nice facilities, that people are attracted to that, it makes them feel more professional in the way they're approaching the sport. And I think that the more you can develop infrastructure, uh, the better the game will do from that aspect of development. When you were over here, what was the, the kind of weirdest thing you saw, like a, a guy walking around with a minor league jersey on, what was the strangest thing you saw baseball-wise? Well, I think, I mean, there are two different answers to that. One is playing on the field with people who weren't experienced with baseball, who sort of took it in a strange way, or, you know, being near an estate and playing baseball and a kid walking through the field and, <laughs> you know, doing something unspeakable on the field. I mean, you have that element. It's, on the other side, though, I mean, baseball – gear is still fashionable. I mean, I always saw New York Yankees hats, even in, you know, the early 20, you know, around 2001, two, three, I think that from, uh, you know, people understand that part of it, the fashion piece to it. Uh, it's still getting people involved in understanding the game. It's a complicated game. It, there's, it's not easy access on its simplest level. You know, people who see cricket for the first time feel the same way on the other side where they're like, okay, there's seven ways to get out. I don't get this. Uh, they get a little confused. So, you know, it's all about educating people. I feel this way about sport in general. And now I play a minority sport in the U.S., curling, mm. where people are like, oh, so do you sweep? Do you throw the rock? And there's that same level of befuddlement about curling in the U.S. because it's primarily a game most popular in Canada and Scotland and, and Scandinavia, where I have to do the educating. And I feel with most sports, if you love sports and you learn the details of how the game's played – and the more complicated the game is, if you love sport and you learn it, the more you love that sport because that, it's the nuances for a true sportsman that make a game so appealing. And I think that baseball sort of plays into that tremendously. It's just people being open-minded about a sport they don't know anything about and a willingness to kind of learn the game uh, that is the difference maker. And I think it's the romanticism of baseball that people don't – if they understood that – because I, uh, there's an and with the NFL, there's a certain snobbery, especially in the UK. It's you know we go to Wembley, we we know what we're watching, we understand the game. Whereas baseball fans here, I really think they've they're tired of trying to explain to people why they love it. They just do, and and that's it. Just stay away. This is my sport. So, in in terms of introducing it to new fans, I think that's the biggest challenge. Because you mentioned the fashion aspect, and you mentioned the diehard baseball fans. The, the, the hardest market for me is the guys that just love sport in general but don't really have a give a toss about baseball. That, that's the hardest crowd to convince, I think. But again, I think it's about how difficult it is as an entry level for sport. I think every sport at its highest level is complicated, is very strategic. But when you get that first peek at it, is it going to impact you viscerally? Football, American football clearly does that. You know, if you love the bread and circus, if you love the blood and guts, you're going to have an appreciation for football immediately. You don't need to really understand the game. Uh, but baseball is nuanced from day one. Uh, it's one of the reasons that baseball in some ways has struggled in the United States because you need people to coach the sport who truly understand it. You can do soccer, what the U.S. calls soccer, football in the U.S., 
very easily, even if you know nothing about the sport, right? You teach the offsides rule, you roll out some balls, and you kick it around. Now, that, the statement I just made would be anathema to any true footballing fan, right? Because that undercuts the, the greatness of the beautiful game. But it, it can be taught at a simple level. And baseball is hard. It's very hard. It's a very unnatural motion to throw a baseball. Um, hitting is considered by many a round bat with a round ball is considered by many to be one of the most difficult sporting activities. And you combine those two and people just, they just don't want to be bothered. And I, I think that's the bigger issue than people maybe being protective of the sport. It's just the entry level uh, requires a greater amount of commitment than even American football or basketball for that matter, where you can understand what the goal is of basketball very easily, right? Throw the ball in the hoop. If you're in a certain area, it's two points. If you're behind a certain line, it's three points. Now, again, incredibly complicated sport uh, and strategic sport when you get to levels above that real basic entry point. But baseball, okay, you run in a counterclockwise direction towards first base. You can't move to second unless X happens. It gets very complicated very fast. Yeah, and guys need to get past the fact that the, the, the reality that it isn't just a home run, that that's not the only thing that can excite you. The games are quite long. They're very late. Uh, there's certain days of the week where you can watch it, but that that's another in, an issue entirely. But I think people have to kind of understand how difficult it is to pitch in baseball and understand what batters are trying to do, what they're trying, what they're up against, basically. Um, but that's a yeah. story for another day. How excited are you at this time of year? Spring training is well underway. Are you still the little boy who gets excited when they all report to camp? Well, yeah, and you know, you brought up a point before about there's an element of baseball that that sort of is nostalgic and is sort of, it brings you back to a halcyon days. It brings you back to a different period in one's life if you've grown up with baseball. So to me, the start of the spring training, the start of baseball season, all of a sudden I am transported back to, to being, you know, 14 years old and going out on the field for the first time, the smell of the cut grass um, and, and playing myself. So you see those players who are doing it, and it brings you back to your own moment in your life if you've played baseball growing up. And so I get excited. I get excited because it reminds me of my youth. Uh, it reminds me of a time and a place. Uh, and it's also that whole idea of hope springs eternal, and particularly that hope springs eternal in spring. And it's a time where anything is possible. Baseball is such a long season. And it, it's a grind, and it tires you out at the end, whether you're a fan or a player. And at the start, you have all that energy. It's still built up, and there's just a tremendous excitement with that. Yeah, I think it's the remaining sport where everyone feels like everyone has a chance to win the World Series, and then when we get two weeks into the season, we realize that's not quite the case. Um, let's start with the champs, Chicago Cubs. This is a great story last year. It was unbelievable. The World Series was brilliant. You had two teams that hadn't won anything for a long time. Seven games, you had the rain delay. Um, but it's a, it's the start of a new season, and they've lost a couple of guys. You know, Dexter Fowler, Roldis Chapman's gone, Jason Hamill. They've lost some pitching. Um, they've added Wade Davis. They've added Koji Uehara, John Jay. But they've got to start again. It, how important will Joe, Joe Madden be in terms of saying to the guys, look, look what happened last year was, is over now. We have to go from day one. It's interesting you bring up the, the gaffer, the manager in baseball, because there's a lot of disagreement. As you know, baseball is a sport that loves its statistics. It's the anorak stream, right? Analytics all started with baseball, this idea of money ball. But one area that people have not been able to quantify yet is the impact of the manager on a team, because it's an incredibly subjective process, and it's an incredibly psychological process. 
But the one thing you could say, looking at Joe Madden's career, even if you don't have analytics to back it up, is he understands the player's psyche and he understands how to continue to control the clubhouse, which means keep people on the same page, keep people focused. So I think if they succeed again, he will deserve a lot of credit. He deserved credit before. One thing I love about Joe Madden that people don't talk about that much is that when you look across all 30 Major League Baseball managers, he has some of the least experience in terms of his professional career. He did not make it very far in his professional career. There's been such a movement in all sports, but particularly in baseball for a long time now, that you need to have a former major leaguer. And that's the only way to control the clubhouse is to have someone who has the moral, moral authority of having played at that level. Joe Madden doesn't have it, and it proves that that's not what you necessarily need. You need to understand the psyche, but you don't necessarily have to have that playing experience. I hope that more teams sort of think in those terms. We've obviously seen it in front offices where they went from having the ex-player serve as the general manager into these analytic guys. I actually think with managers that you may find some of your best managers are people who have reached a low level of the minor leagues but truly understand the process. Joe Madden is the perfect example of that. And he's keeping things loose again. Last spring, everyone remembers because it was it preceded the title how he was bringing in you know koalas and whatever have you at spring training, and everyone was allowed to you know the the rookie hazing was taken to a level where everyone had to do something. It wasn't just the rookies. So he's doing that again, and that's why I find it interesting because the young guys probably after five minutes after they won the World Series last year they would have all looked around the clubhouse and said, oh, we can do this for years. This is easy. We've got so much talent. But actually, on the face of it, and that's what I want to ask you next, you've got guys like John Lester, John Lackey, and Jay Carrietta. They've got to do it all again. And they're not, they're not the youngest of guys. So how do you see that shaping out and, 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 it, and what the team's chances will be in terms of that rotation? Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. You mentioned three pitchers who are all well past their 30th birthday. Uh, This is an age where pitchers begin to break down, where they don't have the same ability to repeat 180 to 220 innings a year. And that, to me, is right there the biggest question, whether those three guys, you know, whether the Ariettas of the world, whether the Lesters of the world, and John Lackey particularly, uh, are going to be able to hold up because you need all three of those pitchers. Now, you have, you know, more pitching there. You have Kyle Hendricks, and you mentioned Wade Davis, which is a, a great at, at the back of that bullpen. But I still think that they don't have all the pieces on the pitching side in the bullpen. And I think the health of the starting pitching is going to really be the difference maker one way or another. The hitting is going to be there. One player you didn't mention who effectively is new this year is Kyle Schwarber. Mm. He only played really one game during the regular season and then played great in the postseason. But he was injured throughout the whole regular season. You bring him back, and that adds a, a more offensive depth. So – I don't have a worry about them offensively. I do have a worry uh, about them when it comes to their starting pitcher and the health of, of those three guys particularly. I can't remember who it was, but I heard an interview last year and they they compared Carl Schwarber's swing very much to Barry Bonds. What Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, they both hit bombs, uh, you know, and they both have good good pull swings. I, I Barry Bonds is so unique. He had a very short swing, okay? And what that means is that there's not a lot of, uh, you know, his hands don't move out. There's not a long plane in which he, he ever had to swing. And that meant that he could be short to the ball every time. So wherever it was thrown, he could take a little bit more time, allow the ball to go deeper, and still make incredible contact. Personally, I think Schwarber, he doesn't have a long swing, but he doesn't have that same level of short swing. So, I, you know, I, I think that really Barry Bonds, whatever you say about his use of, of – 
performance enhancing drugs did, didn't, whatever the impact. Uh, that swing was unique. I, I really wouldn't compare anyone to him. To have that level of power and that short a swing uh, was, was absolutely uh, one of a kind. Cleveland adding Edwin Encarnacion, do you think they've got a better team on paper than the Cubs? I do again, but and I hate to sound like a broken record, but for them again, it, it's all about their starting pitching and the help of the starting pitching, right? Danny Salazar, Carlos Carrasco, Corey Kluber. I would match those three pitchers up against Lester, Arietta, and Lackey. It's just they had health problems with Salazar and Carrasco, and I think that that's a huge issue for them. I think if that starting pitching remains healthy throughout. I absolutely like their chances. And I like their chances also because I I personally think the American League is a little weaker this year uh, than the National League. So I think, you know, I look at the the Nationals and I look at the Dodgers and I look at the gauntlet that the Cubs are going to have to go through in the postseason to get to the World Series. And you look at the American League, and and sure, the Boston Red Sox have a lot to uh, to be hopeful about. Uh, A lot will depend on whether David Price is completely healthy. He's had elbow issues so far. Does Chris Sale make the, you know, the easy transition as Rick Porcello have the year he had last year? But you go beyond that, and then you're starting to talk, okay, the Detroit Tigers have some reasons to be excited, but also have some, some questionable uh, issues when it comes to their starting rotation. Uh, you look at a team like the Texas Rangers. Is you Darvish going to stay healthy throughout the whole season? Uh, do they have enough offensive depth? So there are teams that are good, but I think teams with greater question marks uh, in the American League, which leaves a little bit more, in my mind, an open lane for for the Indians to get back there. We're just bouncing around here, and you mentioned Detroit there. I feel like this is like the 50th year in a row where they've had the vets that that they were going to go for a title again this year. This is the final year we're going to try and do it. Cabrera, Valanda, Martinez, um, you know, all those guys that have been around for a long time. Do we? Do you see it? Do you see them cracking through, or are they going to break it up after next year? Yeah, I think they're going to have to break it up because I think at some point you have to reload. You have to reload with youth. And you mentioned Victor Martinez. You mentioned Miguel Cabrera. You got guys like Ian Kinsler, mm. who's who's also getting older. Uh, you know, and their younger players like Nick Castellanos. It's just not the same tier of player. So you know, I definitely think they're going to have to go for it, or at some point maybe dish off some players right around the all-star break to start trying to reload with, with, with more young prospects. Uh, Justin Verlander and, and Michael Fulmer are the big questions in terms of their rotation for very different reasons. Michael Fulmer, of course, absolutely great rookie season, but you look at the advanced analytics with him, and it looks like he was a little lucky. His batting average for balls in play, which is how often a, a ball uh, is hit, and, and do you get an out or not get an out? It seems to suggest luck if you have a, a lower batting average for balls in play or bad luck if it's higher. His tended to skew lucky. So it's a question of whether there's a, a bit of a, there's going to be a bit of a rollback for him. And Justin Verlander had a great season last year, but it was a comeback season for him. He had a couple of bad years previous to that. And so are we seeing the new normal, i.e. he's back to the pitcher he was, or was this year an aber- last year an aberration and he's going to be a guy who's, again, struggling? Because they need that starting pitching there. Uh, you know, the bullpen has been a question for them for so long. I think it's better. You know, you have a K-Rod in there. Justin Wilson's a good reliever. Um, but, again, depth is always a question with them in the bullpen. Well, we have Kay Upton to thank for Verlander's uh, turnaround, right? I mean, what she said at the end of the last you- season. <laughs> 
Oh, I know. I, I can't say it on 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 your on your you show. Can say, but, you yeah. can say it. You can say on my podcast. I, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll be uh, fine. Uh, you say it. It's your it's your podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the exact words that she used to express her her anger at one particular writer who didn't put Justin Verlander uh, on his Cy Young ballot, but uh, she was definitely strafing with the bad language. She was dropping the bombs. Uh, I love it. I mean, I thought it was hilarious. I couldn't believe it the first time I read it. I was like. You know, usually I know Giselle with Tom Brady is equally oh. as defensive of her man, uh, but I but the level of vitriol that she had was kind of blew me away, and I kind of I kind of liked that level of like indignant nature about her husband uh, or boyfriend. I don't think they're married, right? They're just uh, boyfriend girlfriend, right? At this point, uh, being uh, being that pissed off, I thought it was pretty cool. I'll keep it semi-clean. She said, "Hey MLB, I thought I was the only person allowed to f Justin Verlander." What two writers yeah. didn't have him on their ballot? Yeah, so there you go. Thanks, Kay Upton, for supporting JV. Um, AL East is always an interesting division. Going to have it again this year. Some people tipping Tampa Bay to be a surprise team in there. Uh, the Red Sox have added Chris Sale. And thanks to David Price's injury, I'm going to miss his game because I'm going to the third game of the season, Red Sox-Pirates. So I'm not going to see either Porcello or Sale. Um, but if you were Toronto, let's start there. Would you have tried harder to keep um, hold of Encarnacion or are you happy that they stay with Batista? I know financially just knowing some background stuff that they, they were limited and they knew they weren't going to be able to do both. I think personally, I actually would rather have Encarnacion than Batista between the two, just where they are in their careers and sort of where their trajectory is. It'll be interesting to see at the end of the season whether I was right about that. Um, you know, I, Toronto... I love Marcus Stroman. I mean, I just, and he threw, he's so great in the World Baseball Classic. And I just, I want him to put it together. And I think that that will be a huge part of it, whether they have that, that true ace right there in order uh, to do it. Roberto Asuna, who was so great as their closer last year, a little bit more questionable. I, I definitely think the Blue Jays are the, the second team in that division. Uh, the team that I'm most interested to look at are the Yankees, uh, because they're talking about this year as a rebuilding year, but they definitely have that combination of, of some older players there to go along with some potentially dynamic rookies. Gary Sanchez was amazing at the end of last season. Is that the player he is? Is he a 40-home run guy, or is there going to be – some regression there. And you got guys like Greg Bird, who's supposed to be great. Uh, Glebar Torres, who won't start the season uh, as the shortstop of the future. But, you know, there's a lot of excitement there. Uh, Aaron Judge, you know, there are a number of young players who if they slot in and are really blown out, this team could be good. You're, of course, going to need beyond uh, Masahiro Tanaka. You're going to need CeCe Sabathia, and you're going to need, uh, you know, other pitchers uh, to step up like Michael Pineda. But I can actually see them shocking and, and being much better than it's expected. I know it's, it seems crazy for me to say that it would be a real dark horse for the Yankees to do well. I could see it. On the flip side, if they're old retreads like Chase Headley, Starling Castro, Matt Holliday are, are continue to regress, the pitching staff falls apart. This is a team that wouldn't finish over 500. So you have a really wide spectrum for the Yankees that will be really interesting to see which end of it they end up on. Yeah, because they kind of do that every year, right? They they brought in Jacoby Ellsbury. Um, they had I forget the names now. because they brought because they've put so much money towards Matt, Matt Holiday coming in. A guy like Carlos Beltran, for example, you can either succeed with that or not. Uh, Ichiro is another one that came in. But do you think they're slowly figuring it out because all that money they spent for the '09 title, A Rod's retired, Teixeira's retired. Uh, they're they're clearing out a lot of those guys. I think CeCe's the only one left now. But do you think they're slowly figuring it out with the young guys coming through? 
I think it's actually been a work in progress the last couple of years. I think they understand their fan base, that they can't completely capitulate. They can't be a Houston Astros where they just completely say, forget about it. They just, their fan base will not accept that. The new stadium, it's not that new anymore, but the newish stadium, uh, was so expensive to go to that they have to have relatively decent product on the field. That said, you haven't seen it to share a contract. I mean, Araldus Chapman was a pretty massive contract. Um, but beyond that, I think they've shown much more fiscal restraint than the Yankees of the George Steinbrenner era would ever show. And I think that they want to create that core center that they had with Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada and Andy Pettit and those guys uh, again. And they know they have to do it if they want to be a sustained dynasty. Because once they get those players in place, and if they're playing right, they can spend the money to maintain them for quite a long time through the arbitration period. So you're looking at like a nice six-year, seven-year window before you even have to see free agency in which they can compete. But they've got to get those guys in there. They've got to get them integrated. And the players have to live up to the expectation. And Gary Sanchez certainly did last year. Uh, It's just the pressure of New York. And we'll see this year whether that pressure will start to, to lay bare on him or whether he's the type of guy he can succeed there. And they got, like, Chris Carr for 8 mil or whatever it was. Explain to me the situation, Aroldis Chapman. So he leaves New York last season midway, goes to Chicago, wins a title, and now he's back with the Yankees. So just can you explain the logic of that, of what he's, why he's gone back there? And, and is it because he's got his championship now and he's happy to go back and take the money or, or what? Well, I think he was, it's an area he was comfortable in, right, because he pitched there. Uh, I think he was happy to take the money because he won the World Series. I don't think that the Cubs saw that allocation of resources as that smart that they probably did the math and thought, and it's not like they're paying nothing for Wade Davis, but I'm sure they thought, well, this is just a better financial model for us. I don't think you can put it all at the feet of Aroldis Chapman. At the same time, you know, Aroldis Chapman to me is uh, – makes me very uncomfortable with sports in general. So he is sort of, to me, one of the poster children of what are one of the big issues with sports, which is this time last year, we were talking about him being radioactive because of domestic violence that he mm. committed that clearly occurred. And a year later, he's a superhero because he battled so valiantly in the World Series on a sporting field. He's able to make the big money with the Yankees. No one's talking about it anymore. I mean, the Yankees were able to pick up Chapman for you know, street change from the Cincinnati Reds at the start of last season because he was so toxic. And I I feel uncomfortable that that doesn't carry with him on some level. And I realize that we want to be forgiving. Western civilization is a forgiving civilization. Uh, But how quickly he was let off the hook uh, from the things he had done, it makes me a little concerned. On that point then, were you sad to see, when Jose Reyes went back to the Mets and they, he got a standing ovation at City Field, did you find that hard to watch? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't find it right. I, I, I feel agree. like we have a different moral compass when it comes to athletes that we do uh, when it comes to everyday people. Uh, and that's not right. It's just, it's just not right. And I realize that there are certain people in our society who have extraordinary skills, and so we turn a blind eye. As great as an athlete can be and as much as they can entertain you, I'm not sure there are any skills out there that should be able to, and and I believe in forgiveness. Ultimately, great, you know, but you need to pay some dues for it. And the ability for athletes to pivot so quickly from being a pariah to being 
once again loved basically because of performance on the field. It doesn't even take that much. Jose Reyes was, has not reclaimed his superstar status on the field, and yet people are like, you know what, he's our guy. Um, it's something always worth looking at and always worth reminding. You know, again, don't make someone, uh, you know, the devil forever necessarily. I do believe that people can understand and learn from their failure and their abhorrent actions, but it can't be done so quickly. I think it's one of the few industries where you you have that because if someone was, if if an actor, for instance, was done for domestic violence or something even worse than that, um, not there's a lot worse, and he was in a film. I'm going to stop you right there and disagree and say uh, Woody Allen. I mean, Woody Allen is a perfect example of someone uh, who is, you know, Mia Farrow had charged him with, you know, certain incredibly inappropriate activities with, with family members. Uh, and, uh, you know, Bill Cosby lasted a very long time uh, on the back of a lot of criticism that's all starting to crumble down for him. Uh, but I think but how much do we is, celebrate those guys? I, well, I think Woody Allen, we still quite a bit celebrate. Roman Polanski, the director, uh, you know, he's, he doesn't come to the United States anymore, and he, but he should be extradited for crimes that he allegedly committed as well, too. Mm. I think that there is a, a cult of fame, a cult of talent, where we do, in all walks of life, uh, give a lot of leeway and forgiveness for people who we think are special in some way or another. I don't think it's necessarily sports alone, but I think we see a lot of it in sports. I definitely think we see a lot of it, and not just baseball, obviously, uh, but we just have talked about a, you know, a handful of examples where it has occurred in baseball. Well, to a lesser extent, David Ortiz, who you know, may or may not have taken performance-enhancing drugs, is absolutely blessed. Red Sox fans love him. Uh, Manny Ramirez is someone that they might, they might not show as much attention to, but how much do you think they're going to miss Ortiz? You know, I had this discussion recently. I think that certainly it's going to diminish their overall offensive production. The performance he had last year was historic for his age. But I don't think that that's the difference maker on the Red Sox success or failure because they have so much other offense. Jackie Bradley Jr., you know, the Mookie Betts, Dustin Pedroia's back, Anthony Benatendi in left field. It's, it's just a really strong Xander Bogut. It's just such a strong offensive team through and through that I think that even though the production will be down, if they don't succeed, it's going to be on the back of their pitching. I, I would be surprised if it's because offensively they start to tank it. Because Betts will hit, I mean, it's crazy. how If you look at him, you don't think Betts is going to hit 30 home runs, but maybe they lose that other slot where another guy hits 30. Uh, there was some tragedy as well. Uh, Jose Fernandez, Udana Ventura both passed away recently and, I'm just going to ask you, like, how it must be so hard for teams to return after what's happened. How do you think KC and Miami, respectively, are going to perform this season? And, and do you expect that to be, a, you know, kind of a cloud over the team's performance the whole season? Well, I think it can be a cloud. I also think it can be a galvanizing force. Uh, you know, when when there's tragedy, it either brings people together or it splits them apart. There's been some time with Jose Fernandez and his passing that I think, um, you know, the team psychologically are, are going to be able to start moving on. Jordano Ventura died over the, uh, over the offseason uh, in a car crash in the Dominican Republic, so that's more recent. I think they'll have a farther way to go. So, you know, you want to talk about it only on human terms, but because we're talking about baseball and on-field on performance, you have to talk about it from that standpoint. And for both of these teams, it's devastating. I mean, the Marlins were building their rotation around Jose Fernandez. You're talking about one of the top five starting pitchers in the National League. Uh, and to lose him, uh, you don't 
replace that. It's just not possible. And I think it affects their overall architecture moving forward. I think that this was a team with the offensive pieces they have, with the Giancarlo Stanton, with the Christian Yelich, that they were starting to, you know, kind of maybe inch their way into the conversation in the East a little bit. Uh, and I think that this sets them back. I think it's even a bigger deal in many ways, even though Jordano Ventura wasn't as good as Jose Fernandez, still an excellent top of the rotation pitcher. It affects the Royals even more because they are at a, you know, a, a turning point season. They're looking at Mike Moustakis, Eric yeah. Hosmer, Alcides Escobar, and Lorenzo Cain, all going to be free agents next year. This is a small to mid-market team, so you're looking at a team that if they lose those players, um, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to keep them all anyway and they don't have a great farm system, that this may be a last year to compete type of scenario for them in a real legitimate way for a while, and you lose that one starting pitcher to go along with Danny Duffy at the top of the rotation. Um, I, you know, I, I said this recently in an interview, that I think that you're going to have to watch the Royals carefully to see whether they're a sell team very fast. Um, because if they don't get off to a good start, if they're not in it for the wild card, uh, that they might want to be trying to sell off some of those guys who are going to be free agents for a little piece uh, of potential prospects to teams that are potentially in contention and looking for a rental player for the end of the season. We're talking to Josh Chetwin on the US Sports Podcast. I'm just going to hit you with some topics before we go. One of them, Andrew McCutcheon, Pittsburgh, moving to right field from center field. For this season, when I saw a comment of his uh, when when the teams reported back for spring training and he said, you know, it was a kind of a team request. It was a you've got to do this, not can you do this. And I know he didn't need to say that, but are you have you been surprised that he wasn't more willing to move over to right field? It, well, it's been a tough year. I think you have to take that statement in the context of what the offseason has been for Andrew McCutcheon, which is that he was the most rumored player to be dealt in the offseason. So you're being told all throughout the offseason, despite the fact that McCutcheon said, I want to live and die being a pirate, that your team wants to get rid of you. So you spend the whole offseason churning over that, and then you get moved in position. You're just not in the right headspace necessarily, because I think McCutcheon is one of the real good guys in Major League Baseball. I think he's just... You know, you see him, you see the interviews. I know people who've worked with him and say that he's just a really good guy. But I think that at some point that wears on you. And at some point you just say, you know, you throw your hands up and say, you know what, I bleed for this team. I've bled for this team. I've been such a central part of its success. And and I feel I'm being treated shabbily. Uh, It's, you know, it's interesting about baseball because you're paid for past performance, right? You know, whenever you get a contract, it's not for what you're going to do. I mean, you try and project what they're going to do later, but really it's what you've done previously. uh, And yet you're judged on what's going to be expected later in the court of public opinion. So, you know, he has this huge contract for what he's done, but everyone's saying, ah, he's over the hill. He had a bad season last year. And I think it's a, a disconnect for some players to understand that you're only beloved for as long as you're good. And then teams say, well, it's just business. But wasn't it um, just a year, a bad rich. year? You think it'll be good this year again? Well, you know, I've read a lot of, you know, the the experts and the analysts on it that say that, you know, the advanced metrics suggest that maybe he is starting to slow down, that he's on the downside of his curve. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. I, You know, I really like him as a player, uh, as a person, so I'm rooting for him. I can't prognosticate which it's going to be, but I think he'll have a sense pretty early in the season uh, whether he's – got, you know, the speed of his swing back and, and whether, you know, he's squaring balls up the way he used to and not like last season. How tired are you of seeing Tim Tebow highlights? 
I'm the opposite, man. I no. will tell you, I am <laughs> I am the heretic. I know, and I'm sure I'm, I hear the collective groan of everyone who's listening to this, that I am a Tebow defender. He's one I'm for totally ten. A, yeah, I don't care. I love it. I love people going for baseball. I, lo- I even liked it when Michael Jordan did it for a number of reasons. One, it shows someone has a desire for the sport of baseball who played another sport. That's great. That means a lot to me that people understand it's a game that they want to try. Jordan wanted to try it. Tebow thinks that they can do it. Two, quite honestly, there are so few exceptions of dual sport athletes who could play baseball in another sport. You think of, you know, the Deion Sanders, uh, Brian Jordan, Danny Ainge, who played baseball in the major leagues and then uh, played with the Celtics. You know, there are very few people who are able to do it. Uh, and it's a reminder of how freaking hard baseball is. I mean, Tim Tebow is a great athlete. He can hit in batting practice, but it, it's nothing more than that. And thirdly, I like it because I dig his attitude about it. I got to be honest, Max. It's not like I want to be a superstar. I want everyone to look at me. It's like I want to challenge myself at a craft that I, I know a little bit about but recognize that I'm humbled by, and I want to see whether I can make it. And, man, I respect that thoroughly on any athlete who's willing to do that and willing to be embarrassed as they go along. And it's fine for me to go do curling. We talked about my curling. And maybe be bad when I started uh, and be embarrassed in a club in Denver. It's another thing to do that on the biggest stage where every, with social media and everyone heckling you and for you to just shrug your shoulders and say, I'm just going to go at it every day. Man, I respect that so much. I, I am all about the Tebow experiment. I respect it. You know, I get people saying, oh, you're disrespecting the sport, you know, by giving him a chance and so many people would kill for. But you know what? I think it says so much about the difficulty of baseball uh, and, and a lot about Tebow and the way he's handling it that, that I'm in for it. I'm surprised you say that because when he held the workout, he, they were draped in Nike or Under Armour, whatever the sponsor was. Um, and then people Adidas. said, oh, Adidas. Adidas, there you go. So the other one. <laughs> and I think I'll be impressed if he does stick it, stick it through and he, and he does play in single A and he does do all the traveling, uh, you know, that that's when I'll like to see it. Cause at the moment it's still great for the Tebow brand. It's, I think the Mets have been wise to say, look, we're going to sell jerseys. It's a good thing for us. And you mentioned MJ 1994 with the Birmingham Barons, double A. He hit two Oh two, three home runs, 51 RBIs, 88 hits, 30 stolen bases and 114 strikeouts. Do you think Tim Tebow will get anywhere near that line and that level? I don't think so. I mean, I think he'll hit for more power, certainly, and won't run as well. Uh, but And that was a double A, too. You know, I mean, you're yeah. getting up to the higher echelons of the minor league. I'd be very surprised. But I wouldn't put it past him. You know, I think he is an exceptional athlete, too. And I think your point is fair that there is definitely a business component to it. I'm basing myself – I'm making the rookie mistake – uh, especially in America now where I'm actually listening to what someone's saying and believing it, which uh, in politics nowadays is the dumbest thing to do in America uh, or <laughs> in the UK for that matter. Yeah. Uh, but I'm listening to what Second. he's saying. And I believe, I believe there's a sincerity there. And I agree with you though. Like, let's see if he backs the sincerity of words up with the sincerity of action. Hey, another interesting storyline. Do you think Trey Turner overtakes Bryce Harper in terms of, you know, the fan popularity? Cause I, all I ever hear is that Mike Trout is the guy who keeps his head down. He's the best player in the league, but we don't talk about him because he's not Bryce Harper. He hasn't got the flashy haircut. He hasn't got the, you know, whatever he's doing off the, off the field. He's not got that energy on the field. He's not shouting all the time. And, and you know what I mean, Harper's out there and he's, he's relatable to kids. Um, do you think Turner becomes more popular in Washington? Because the Nationals aren't winning a lot. They're not getting past the division series. Maybe the fans turn against Harper and they start liking Turner. Is that crazy to say? 
Well, two things. First is I, I think it has less to do with Trout's demeanor than the absolute just embarrassment that the Angels have been over the last few years. I mean, they've just been such a terrible team, and I realize they've had injuries in their pitching rotation and their legitimate reasons for it, but they're just such a forgotten team that I think it's very hard. And I know you're saying, that, yeah, the Nationals haven't made it to the World Series, but they've been at the top of the division and they've gone to the playoffs. That's a much better uh, a better sort of stand to be on, you know, a better platform uh, than what Trout's doing. I think if Trout were uh, playing for the Boston Red Sox, we'd be talking about Trout differently in terms of, of, of brand issues. Uh, you know, I, the, the issue with Harper, I, I, you know, I think it all comes down to performance. I really do. I think they're both young, dynamic players. Trey Turner needs to show that he wasn't an aberration. I think it's the same thing we were talking about with Gary Sanchez with the Yankees, that here's a player who's shown a, a great small sample size of performance. Now can they do it over the full season? The full season, people don't understand the it, not just the physical grind, but the mental grind of playing 162 games. You know, I played uh, through the minor league level. I think the most I ever played in a season was 68, 70 games, short season. Um, and that was mentally exhausting. Um, I want to see Trey Turner through a full season, whether he can work his way through, you know, all the ups and downs. You come in for a half to two-thirds of the season, you can ride the adrenaline throughout. And, and so – but if he gets that level – so now let's assume that he gets to the Harper level. I think whoever performs better – uh, will have the greater attention, and I think that they will both uh, be the ships that, that raise in the high tide uh, if the team makes it all the way to the World Series. If Matt Harvey, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob deGrom, and the like can stay healthy, do you think the Mets can challenge the Nationals in the division and potentially further? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're top five. You, know, you throw in the Zach Wheelers and the Steve Matts of the world. Their top five is as strong and as deep as any top five, if, and let's put if, bold, underlined italics, they all stay healthy. And I think that's the big question. I, I'm not convinced that all those guys are going to stay healthy. Um, you know, to the Mets' credit, they have so good at depth in terms of having, a, you know, a lot of pitchers to fill in, and that's the reason they were able to make it to the postseason. Offensively, you know, I, I, I'm not 100% convinced yet. You know, uh, you know they get Cespedes back. Uh, you know, it's a good offensive team. Uh, I think you have to wait and watch. That's really my honest uh, feeling. If all those pitchers are healthy, yes, they can definitely compete. They can compete for the division especially because when you have five great starters, you don't have to wait for your one and two guy to come back to stop a, a losing streak. Every five days you have a chance to stop any sort of funk. Uh, but it's a huge question on their health. You're off to spring training soon, right? Yes, I'm going on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. Amazing. Uh, yep. Can you tell us what you're doing there or not? Yeah, well, you know, one side thing I've done for quite a long time now is that I, I, I represent a number of baseball players. I don't know if you know that about me, but I uh, represent players. I have a niche Agentine business. I hate using the word Agentine because the picture is like, you know, slick, slippery guys. Uh, but I have a niche Agentine business where I represent players from non-traditional uh, baseball countries. I sort of felt there was a time where players uh, from Europe, I also represent uh, a player from South Africa, I've represented some Australian players, uh, they just didn't have a voice. They didn't understand the system and the process of how players get integrated into professional baseball, that negotiation process, and then how the professional uh, career goes from there. So I've represented for a number of years a number of players. Uh, I have two that are in Arizona. I have a number 
are playing in various levels in minor leagues that are on the Florida side. Uh, but I have a player who's in the Royal system and one who's in the A system, and I'm, I'm going to see him. So are people starting to get to know Max Kepler, the Twins? Is there a, a name in Europe that you could say to people here, fans here, watch this guy, watch out for this guy? Yeah, well, I'm deeply biased. I can now run off my, my, my client <laughs> roster because I believe in all – obviously, I believe in all of them. I mean, uh, the one who is probably the most prominent player who I represent, I negotiated the largest contract ever for uh, a European baseball player. It was an Italian player named Martin Gasparini. He signed for $1.3 million with the Royals. Uh, and, you know, he is a, an athlete of the highest caliber. Uh, the Royals are switching him from uh, shortstop to center field this year. And uh, I think that's a really good uh, switch for him. Uh, you know, his power is developing. Uh, but again, I'm biased. I represent him. So, uh, you know, I want to make clear that there's no hidden agenda here. It's a very overt agenda. Uh, and, uh, you know, I believe in him. Uh, you know, the other player I'm seeing uh, who is in Arizona is a catcher by the name of Andy Paz. He's from France. He played a double A last year uh, with the A's. Um, he's originally of Cuban descent, but uh, played in the French system. Uh, and had a great year last year. Uh, if he can get more playing time, he's you know uh, young enough at double A that you know he could end up in the majors. Uh, and then you know the guy I love, who I've represented the longest, is a player by the name of Gift and Wepe. And Gope he goes by here in the U.S. Uh, and he's South African. He's at AAA on the 40-man roster with the Pirates. And would be an amazing story. A South African player has never made it to the major leagues. Um, his backstory is incredible. And he's just uh, a great – all of them are great guys. I mean, I, I love them. And, uh, you know, it's like family. That's kind of how I see that whole process. So, uh, What is the backstory? Uh, so his uh, mother uh, had basically come out of the countryside and came to Johannesburg and uh, got a job working uh, as sort of like a house cleaner for a uh, baseball club. And literally as part of the job, she lived in the clubhouse and her two sons were effectively born and grew up in a clubhouse. I've seen the room, a room, you know, uh, very small room, maybe, you know, hundred square feet, really just had room for, for two beds in it. And he grew up on a baseball field, which is very rare in South Africa. It's not amongst the most popular sports, but it just so happened just a fantastic athlete um, and signed with the Pirates out of the European Academy. They didn't have an African Academy back then. Um, I served as the general manager for the South African team in the World Baseball Classic in 2009. And when I decided to uh, start representing players after that, he was the first guy I went after because, um, you know, I just, I believed him as an athlete and I believed him as a person and his story to me was so compelling. Well, that is amazing. But JC, you got to promise me one thing. Don't let the agency work get in the way of your curling career. Like, how could I? I'm an athlete first. Then <laughs> it's are. other people's careers after that. <laughs> you are indeed. You've proven that over your over your lifetime. Josh, thank you for uh, taking the time out. I'm excited for the baseball season even more now, so thank you. Max, it's my pleasure. I always enjoy chatting with you. Thanks so much to Josh Chetwin for taking time out to speak to me about the baseball season coming up. I'm very excited. Opening day. Make sure you check out MLB UK on Facebook and Instagram and also on Twitter. New social channels for everyone who loves baseball in this country. And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please go on to iTunes and search the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. And if you'd be so kind to leave a lovely review, that would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I will speak to you soon. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the games.